poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. Energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. Agriculture and agri-processing is a vital contributor to the South African economy. It represents around 10% of the country's GDP. It is, as you well know, a major source of employment. It generates more than a million direct and indirect jobs. Agricultural exports play an important role in the South African economy, accounting for around 25% of total exports. All of that sounds very good, doesn't it? But they're problems, including poorly developed agricultural infrastructure. Agri-investments have stagnated in South Africa due to a lack of confidence in the sector. South Africa, as you well know, has introduced land reform policies. That's resulted in the redistribution of land from white to black farmers. However, the process has been complicated to a degree by inadequate support for the new farmers under the lack of clear regulations on land tenure. Then, of course, there is climate change. It's expected to have a major negative impact on agriculture. South African agricultural productivity is low compared to other countries. That's due in part to outdated technology and limited access to improved farming methods. And small-scale and commercial farmers here in South Africa often lack access to adequate financing, limiting their ability to invest in new technologies and improved production systems. A very warm welcome to Fix SA and our guests in coming weeks are going to be asked how we can make things better. How do we improve matters? How in the shortest space of time can we become a competitive and successful nation? Well, you've guessed it. Uh, we are talking agriculture today. And my guest is Wandili Sitlobo. He's the chief economist of the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa, perhaps better known to us as AgBiz. He's also the author of Finding Common Ground, Land Equity and agriculture. Wandili, a very warm welcome to you and let's wade straight in. As far as the sector is concerned, what in your opinion is the biggest problem? Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. And I think you have already highlighted really some of the important issues that we need to tackle in this sector. And I may just try to frame those, Jeremy, in about five points that I think in my view, we have to really focus on. And I would start on the first one, which you began to highlight to say, we are increasingly facing productivity problems. And this is a new thing in South Africa because we've been a leader when we think about technologies, agro-technologies that are necessary for boosting productivity. But I would say somewhere around about uh, 2015 or so, we're starting to drag our feet a little bit. And by that, Jeremy, I'm particularly talking about what we call the Act 36 of 1947, which is a regulation that deals with the registration of certain fertilizers, farm feeds, seeds, and remedies. And all of these are important when you think about productivity, either of livestock farmers or of fruit farmers or crop farmers, because they depend on some of these biological material to actually be able to boost the productivity. And what we need in South Africa is about how do we smoothen and modernize those regulations. And that's the first thing I would say we need to focus on, Jeremy. And I would add there to say issues around biosecurity. 
are part and parcel of that conversation. The second problem, Jeremy, uh, you make this point of saying we are an important sector when one thinks about the GDP of South Africa, we contribute a lot to the fortunes of the country. But I would say that, Jeremy, we're increasingly facing a problem when we think about infrastructure in South Africa. Rural roads are in bad condition. You think of the Free State all the way to the Eastern Cape, Northwest. Anyone who drives around South Africa will agree with us that we are in bad shape. Water infrastructure is another thing that I think requires urgent attention. And I would add into that second point, the issue around ports and rail. We already see improvements, but there's a lot that can be done. And very quickly, the three other points, Jeremy, I would add in that list you started with that we need to focus on is the security. Stock theft for small-scale black farmers, big problem. Farmer tax is another issue vandalization of infrastructure and i would add also to say guys as south africa let's focus a lot also in research and development and widening export markets so for me taking all of these position points together and adding to what we have opened with i think a solution around that would begin to help us grow the farm economy agro-processing and also the rural economy which is an important area of our society and if we don't get this right it will have a negative impact in time on food security and our ability to provide absolutely uh, jeremy because i think we have to appreciate the fact that agriculture is very important i mean this is a, a clear fact jeremy if you look at some literature that has been done in asia in much of latin america and even in the african continent which gives us important insight that if you look at growth in agriculture in general, it typically is about two or three times more effective in reducing poverty than equivalent amount of growth generated outside agriculture, which means then that if you're growing your agricultural sector, you are dealing with a lot of societal problems in South Africa, poverty, and of course, uh, issues of unemployment. And if you don't do that, then the eventuality could be the likely outcome that you just alluded to. If we look at some of the points that you've just raised, so dragging our feet on regulation, the whole uh, issue of infrastructure, security, research and development, which of the ones is the most serious? What is most serious in my eyes at this point, uh, Jeremy, I would say security and infrastructure are the important areas. I say this, Jeremy, because if you look at South Africa's agricultural sector, we are a country that exports about 51% of what we produce in value terms. In 2022, that was about $12.8 billion, a record level up 4% from the previous year. But that's not to say to feel good about ourselves, but that's just to demonstrate the fact that you need to have uh, ports that are efficient and operating well. You need to have roads that can actually take the product from where it's produced to export markets and also to local markets. And I think that then the road network and the rail is an important and an urgent one. Addition to that, I would say let's deal with security. Because at the end of the day, we know that there is evidence that where the crime and theft rises, then investments also tends to decline on that. Especially now that crime is seen to be vandalizing some key infrastructure in the railway industry, in some of the water infrastructure, all of these are not boding well for 
the goals that we all have for South Africa's agriculture and indeed for any other business in our economy. So where do we start fixing the deficiencies in infrastructure? Well, we start in fixing the deficiencies in infrastructure, Jeremy. I would say it's multi-layered. The first one is ensuring that we have municipalities managed by people that are competent, passionate, and devoted to the work that they are doing there, have the good engineers. That then begins to improve the operational efficiency of the small towns, which is where agribusinesses and farmers are largely operating in. Because in South Africa, all of the highways are relatively in good condition. The problem begins with the roads that are managed by municipalities. But I do think there that agribusinesses and the farmers have a certain uh, role to play. That could be partnership, that could be struck. But we should be careful not to transfer the responsibilities that are supposed to be on the public budget. Of course, to rely more to the private sector where there's a number of problems in there. So I would say at a municipality level, dealing with roads. And of course, the Department of Transport, as well as the Department of Agriculture, as someone that can speak for the, uh, for the farming sector is the first point to start on, on that. In the others related to the rail and the road, there's already good conversation between Transnet and organized agriculture groups like ourselves, the Agricultural Business Chamber and AgriSA and the others. We even recently signed what we call the interface agreement, which allows us to share knowledge about where the problems are and also even think about the areas of core investments uh, so that we see some better levels of efficiencies in facilitating our exports and logistics. Are you suggesting that agriculture doesn't have a loud enough voice in government, both national and provincial? I think the voice is loud, is there, but because the sector has seen enormous growth over the past two or three years, we may fall into thinking that all is blooming and going well in agriculture, but there are problems that are boiling out. And if they are not addressed down the line, we may face some problems. Just thinking about, for example, the other point that I was mentioning about regulations to say Act 36 of 1947 Mm. to allow us to import certain fertilizers and farm seeds. That, Jeremy, is critical to the point you mentioned at the start, climate change, because we don't need these biological solutions just for the sake of having them. But we are saying with climate change, there are new problems. There's a change in rainfall patterns. There's a change in temperature. But then... There are technologies there that assist farmers to a certain extent to cope with these ever-changing climatic conditions. And how should we rely on those? And appreciating, Jeremy, that if you think about the farming sector alone, and then you add the agro-processing as you rightly did, you are looking at roughly over 1.3 million South Africans that are directly working in the space. So when you bring these technologies and ensuring that there is progress in the sector, there's a wide uh, number of people that benefit from the sustainability of the sector. And of course, the multipliers then of those jobs are quite huge when you begin Mm. to think about that. When agribusiness and uh, small agriculture raises these problems, whether it be at municipal, provincial or national level, do you feel that you're being heard? Right now, Jeremy, we are in a great place of having uh, someone that is dedicated, knowledgeable about the sector, such as uh, Minister Toko Titiza. As you rightly know, Jeremy, 
She was one of the early ministers in the dawn of democracy in this sector. So she brings a lot of focus on the sector. And I do think that uh, the relationship between the organized agriculture and her department has strengthened over time. And, and, and there is good listening and good interaction onto that. But what now we asking is that she goes further than that to say, how does she push her colleagues in water affairs? How does she push her colleagues that are responsible for roads to actually be able to assist us on this? Ms. Derby, who runs uh, Transnet, has also been engaging with our sector quite strongly, and that relationship is growing stronger and stronger, and there's a good cooperation that is happening. So in those areas, we do see that. But I still think that the Minister of Agriculture can go forward and even broaden that, 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 that influence for the sector in some of the other uh, portfolios of government that uh, influences us but are not under her authority. Yours is an industry that is also uh, hit hard sometimes by a lack of cooperative partnership. In other words, people uh, talking uh, out of the silos and at each other. How would you make that happen? How, how would you get more people to engage in that constructive partnership that you're referring to? 100% correct, Jeremy, that in our sector, there's always what I typically call the conflict of visions, not only between government and the private sector, but even ourselves as private sector, where others desire a certain part and the others desire a certain uh, path uh, for growth. But I think where, Jeremy, I would tap ourselves, we would tap ourselves in our shoulders is that uh, over the past two years, we've managed, Jeremy, to come up with what we call the Agriculture and Agro-Processing Master Plan. And that master plan, I know many South Africans are bored of hearing about master plans. But this one, Jeremy, introduces something that is interesting. Because what it begins to do, it follows the general ethos of Chapter 6 of the NDP, which talks about inclusive growth. But then what it does, it goes deeper than just the vision. And it begins to map up what we call the commodity corridors to say in the former Transkei region of Lusigisig, it's next stuff. What can we specialize in in that area? Which private sector players have an interest into that? When we go down to KZN and getting to Richmond, what can we do in those areas? When you look up north in Limpopo, you are in Molimole in the outskirts there. What can be grown? what agribusinesses can get into those in those areas, but also understanding what in each of these regions are the constraining factors. When we say infrastructure is a broad theme, but is it roads? Is it water? What is it? Is it fencing? Is it farm infrastructure? Is it silo storages? All of those, this is what has been mapped up per commodity in this master plan. So where, where have you seen progress the then? Where have you seen progress uh, in that sector-specific approach or that area sector-specific approach? This area sector-specific approach now, the progress, uh, Jeremy, is that it was not created by government and imposed on a private sector. It was a core creation where all social partners were on the table, private sector, labor, community as well as the government. The progress now we are seeing it because we are beginning to say, let's move to the second stage of the implementation. There's a launch of blended finance that has just been done at the end of last year with Land Bank and the government, which is one of the ingredients that is needed onto this. So we are now marching on that implementation. And I guess when we speak somewhere at the end of 2023, we would be able to even judge if are there really, are we, are we cracking the ground and seeing some of the implementation uh, already had happened? 
But right now, all of the general ethos and in farmer meetings that I go to, everyone is eager to get into that. And that message is also shared by government. That's where I draw optimism, Jeremy. That uh, cooperative ideology seems to be very successful, but conventional wisdom also suggests that there is a divide in interest between small agriculture and big agribusiness. How do you get those two sides working together more cooperatively? Jeremy, that that is an important point that you're raising, and it is baked in the history of South Africa, which, of course, I was talking to um, a conflict of vision where black farmers are saying, we want to get into the table, and it looks like the needs of commercial farmers, largely white farmers, is already on saying, Mm. how do we modernize and get into the global business, why black farmers are still trying to get into this. And I think in South Africa, Jeremy, particularly in agriculture, and allow me to make this point, there is always a confusion where some people think of transformation as if it's taking from a white farmer and giving to a black farmer. But what we are trying to look at in agriculture is what we call we are growing the agricultural pie, taking some of the land that is underutilized, bringing black farmers in under the ethos of what we say, better few, but better which means you better have a few commercial black farmers, but the one that are excelling and making sure that they are taken care of in that. But where is that land, Jeremy, coming from? In the government books right now, Jeremy, we have at least at minimum about 1.8 million hectares that the government will begin to be releasing, hopefully with the title deeds into the new beneficiaries. And then as they come in and as they partner, as they get supported and they grow in the sector, then you are narrowing now that gap. Because if we don't narrow the gap and we don't commercialize black farmers, we end up with the current problem that we have, whereby if you look at South Africa's food production, black farmers, with the statistics we have, make up roughly between 10 to 15 percent of the commercial agricultural output. You cannot continue to have these parallel processes where they are largely in smallholder and then you have white farmers largely on commercial. We have to be growing at a commercial scale and dealing with inclusive growth. And with that, we will then over time begin to be able to have a unanimous vision, not the one that the interests that differ. Then in brief, of course, then I'm basically saying there are mechanisms in place But the goal is commercialization of black farmers. The needs differ in place, but if there is clear understanding and a clear mapping up about how to close that gap, uh, then we'll march forward. But this is not a given, uh, Jeremy. I must stress that the government has to launch what they say it's a land reform and agricultural development agency, which the president spoke about in his SONA in 2021 and 2022. And I understand from interacting with the Department of Agriculture that the work has already been done in mapping up that agency. And then if he can deliver then and take this land that I'd mentioned, 1.8 million hectares plus, and make sure that it's distributed with either title deeds or tradable long-term leases, and then agricultural finance is in place, then I think we will begin to see a greener future and more jobs and more food produced and more exports. And that's the prosperity that we Mm. want for rural South Africa. And that certainly is a utopian vision. In every answer that you've given me, Wandili Sihlobo, to a greater or lesser extent, uh, you have mentioned the role that government has to play. I'm wondering to myself as we have this conversation whether there is just uh, too much dependence on government getting things done, and often that in itself is a hindrance. I mean, Jeremy, there is no way we cannot have the government in this conversation done because 
I mean, the whole point of land reform, think back in the history of our country, was started to say, okay, you get land reform so that it can be distributed to black farmers and then agriculture can grow. So land reform has two, in my mind, objective, restorative justice and economic development. Then the state cannot hoard over 1.8 million hectares and not pass it on people, which is why I come back talking about the issue of government, which is why on regulation I was coming back to talking on issue of government. Mm. Because the Act 36 of 1947 is not a bad act on itself, because what it does, it says there shouldn't be farm seeds and remedies and agrochemicals that hurt the environment. But it should be the ones that are used responsibly, and then it outlines those things. It's not like the government is coming and doing a bad thing. But the government has a responsibility then of saying this was good in 1947 and all the way to the early 2000s. But now there's new developments. Then they have to change, which is why we're bringing it in this conversation. I'm a bit more optimistic on land, Jeremy, and I will make this point because I was familiar with the structuring of this agency that I was talking about. And I do think that it is key in getting things going, but the private sector will have to play its part also in the mix of that. One of the big issues that you raised was infrastructural deficiency. Uh, The easy solution, of course, is uh, to throw more money at it. Uh, That's how we're going to fix the roads. It's how we'll fix the ports. It's how we'll fix the railway tracks. But the reality is, in this particular economic climate, we simply don't have the money to do that. So is there compromise solution in terms of at least making a start to getting the infrastructure build back on track? Jeremy, I wish I would tell you that uh, agribusinesses or farmers should be doing certain parts of the roads, which is why, again, your point of saying uh, we're deferring a lot to government, but we're deferring a lot to government because they have the budget to do this. It's not like South Africa doesn't have the money to do some of these but it's about how that money is misallocated by those that are responsible for doing that. And if you think about the businesses at this point, take a simple farm of maize. The pressures that you have faced in year 2021 all the way to now, uh, 2023, we're having this conversation. You've been in an environment where there's been higher fertilizer prices, higher fuel prices, now the electricity issues in South Africa. And if you think about fertilizer alone, it makes up about 35% of the farmer input cost, which means then you have a really minimal room uh, within your own budget to actually manage your enterprise. If now we begin to say, okay, in addition to managing your farm, we need you to fix the roads, we need you to fix the water, but we also need you to pay the taxes. I do think that we have to be strict on saying, Yes, we are not giving up on, we're not putting all the trust on government, but we have to insist that people do what they are elected and they are in offices to do. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that of course, would be a bridge too far. Let's just move the conversation away from the role of agribusiness then to the broader business community within the value chain. We know that business is very good at talking up a storm and criticizing from the sidelines often, but what further role does the broader business community within that value chain have to play in order to right the agricultural ship in this country. For instance, I'm talking about uh, the logistics industry. I'm talking about the retail industry. I think there, Jeremy, there's already structures that can be used even more efficiently and, and not to insinuate that they are not at the moment. I mean, if you think about at Busa, the business unit South Africa, you have there all of the role players sitting there 
and ourselves having a seat um, onto that, either Nedlec and elsewhere. I think sharing experiences of what challenges does each of the individual businesses face and how they link to the broader sector and the other businesses that are sitting there on the table so that we increase the cooperation that will be useful. So more on a knowledge and an information sharing. But moving beyond that, I mean, I very much liked what B4SA when we were in COVID, when they released this big economic plan, what they were saying in each of the sector, we will do X, Y, Z to get South Africa growing. That is a sort of initiative which was reflective of what's happening in, in manufacturing, was reflective of what's happening in primary sectors, agriculture, mining, and all the way through financing, and then saying who should do what and how should this ship roll going mm. forward. And unfortunately, that's not something that received uh, a bit of a good uptake, which is a gripe, I believe, that President Becky always refers to in some of his public statements that I've heard him make. You, in your job, Wandili Sitlobo, I imagine talk to the farming community. You would talk to the co-ops. You would talk to the unions, for instance. Is there a sense of any optimism at all, or is it generally despair? Jeremy, I will be honest with you. As the Agricultural Business Chamber, as we talk today, we released at the beginning, in the second week of March, what we call the AGBIS, IDC Agribusiness Confidence Index. Um, and it had shown that for the past two quarters, which is the first quarter of this year and the last quarter of 2021, there was growing despondence in, amongst agribusinesses in South Africa. And if you were to listen to all of this conversation and say, what is it? People talk about load shedding, talk about high input costs, the issues we've just discussed, animal diseases, municipalities that are not uh, working, and of course, the network industries, which is the electricity, water, and all of those things. So uh, I guess I'm trying to bring some slightly scientific answer on saying, no, there is a sense of despondence in the sector, and we need to see this changing. Because if this persists, investments also may decline over time. You've raised a number of issues and you've raised a number of fixes. But uh, there is that old cliche, as I always say on this podcast, that uh, you can't manage anything unless you can measure it. So how would you define, in terms of the agri-fix, some of the short-term successes that are achievable in the short term? What's achievable in the short term is what doesn't need a lot of money, which is update and deal with the regulatory matters where you don't need to hire people, which means deal with the modernization of Act 36, deal with biosecurity challenges, and begin to say, how do you advocate for better market access for South African products to markets like China, India, uh, Saudi Arabia, Bangladesh? All of those, they mean that there will be demand out there and for us to continue to export. And in the process, then, you deal with structural issues of infrastructure, municipality, all of those are medium to long term. But they are regulatory and advocacy things that I think the government Mm. and the business can do hand in hand for the good of South Africa's agriculture and rural economy. And a final question. It's common cause that it's not up to your generation and certainly not up to my generation uh, to uh, see the fix through to the end. So when you're talking to young people, uh, perhaps uh, your grandchildren in the next 20 or 25 years, I'd be interested to know what you'll tell them about the early 2020s and their role in 
continuing to build the sector. After all, they are the next baton-holding generation, aren't they? Absolutely, Jeremy. And, and we are now at a stage where one of the key things that will stand in mind to me is that uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the potential that lies in the former homelands uh, to deal with agriculture. We have been writing and talking about it uh, since I started practicing and we don't seem to be actually realizing it, which is why then I hope the master plans and the others may deliver. If they don't, then I'll be very disappointed. But with all of the indications that I have, I think the big story will be how we transformed rural economy from being a dull place to actually a more vibrant place that is contributing positively to the South African economy. And I think with all of that which we plan, uh, Jeremy, and and the interactions between the government and the private sector, uh, it seems that it's a good challenge for all of us to put forward and say, how do we do this? And I hope it will be a success to tell generations after us. Wandili Sihlobo is the Chief Economist of the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and uh, we'll talk to you again on the next Fix SA podcast on MoneyWeb. Thanks for listening to this Fix SA podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.